to the September 30th edition of the Fantasyland Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shorten. On this episode, I'll dive into the two conference final losses, and then we're going to jump into the way too early off-season deep dive with another non-bubble team. This time, it's with the ever-disappointing Minnesota Timberwolves. So before I jump into those two topics... I first want to apologize for any background noise. It is bucketing down where I am, so apologies in advance. And the other one is, this is actually my first season of doing NFL fantasy. So I'm doing a 10-team, half PPR, and man-to-man, I suck. I was hoping that somebody listening to this podcast here is a bit of an NFL wizard. I would love for you to hit me up on Twitter, at MarkFantasyLand. i Absolutely need your help. I am desperate. I'm, th- I'm 0 and 3. I thought I drafted a pretty good side. I started with, I think it was the number four slot. I got Zeke. And then on the way back, I got Edward Tillaire, then Tyreek Hill. But I just, I can't get a win. I'm thinking of doing a couple of trades, but would love a bit of guidance. So please reach out at Mark Fantasyland on Twitter. I would absolutely love to get some help. All right, back to the NBA. First things first, I am really looking forward to the Lakers versus the Heat matchup. I especially am looking forward to Davis versus Bam. I think it's a really nice canvas for what is somewhat the old guard versus the new guard, and I'm really looking forward to seeing those two go toe-to-toe. In the conference finals, LA obviously took care of Denver in five, and they made it look a little clinical in the end. Denver had some really strong performances, but they also had some really horrible ones. And without Murray dropping 40 points a game, they struggled. And that was part due to some terrific defense from LA. Jokic still had 22-7, and seven, but LA, they, they put Howard on him and they forced him into some really tough shots. Howard was talking a lot. He was really physical. And it really did look as though Jokic had run out of gas towards the end of it. He looked a little bit tired and it looked as though Howard was able to wear him down. I really do like the strategy. Howard and and JaVale, they didn't really have to do anything on the offensive end. Between them, obviously, they've they've got 12 fouls to give. So they were going to use every single one of those to make sure that Jokic had the hardest possible time that he could. Outside of him, Jamal Murray, he did... Much the same as what we've come to expect from Jamal from these playoff series. 25 points, 4.4 rebounds, and 7.4 assists. It was a really strong line. But a lot of the time, he struggled to get his shot going until late in the game. And at that point, he would drop you know 10 points in the last couple of minutes. But they were chasing, and the game was almost too far gone at that stage. For me, outside of those two, the biggest standout was Jeremy Grant. He had a terrific playoff series on both ends. He was asked to guard either Kawhi or PG, and then LeBron and AD, and he just never let up. On the offensive end, he got into some rhythm in, in a lot of the games, and this series finished with 16 points and 1.6 triples, and just shy of four boards. He has a player option, which I was curious to see in the uh, in the exit interviews how he would address that, and he was very, very vague. And in the days after that, he alluded to the fact that he's going to decline his player option next year and enter the free agency. He's owed $9 million if he stays at Denver, but 
I think and I would assume that most people would think that he would be able to get a bigger payday than that as well as a more extended contract because he is a really good two-way player at the moment. We have a decent off-season approaching, so I'll delve into Denver a little later. But for next season, Jokic is a star. He'll continue being a star and will be a top 10 staple across every league. Jamal Murray, he's taken the next step next year, and I think he'll go late third, early fourth. The key to his uptick in value and him taking the next step is his assists. He's obviously a, a confident scorer, but if he lifts his assist to six, seven per game, he'll automatically become a top 20 player. Will I take him to the top 20? No, but that is his ceiling. So keep that in mind when you're drafting next year. The next game, as surprising as it was, Boston were the next team out. I think they were outcoached more than anything else. They were out-hustled, and from game one, they looked like the underdog. Miami played this really clever zone defense where instead of having their two guards sit at the top, they sat them in the corners, and they were able to contest a lot of shots very, very early in the shot clock, and Boston struggled to get some good looks. Jason Tatum, we know he's a star. We know that he's going to get offered the max contract in the offseason. He deserves that. Jalen Brown, he was a really solid player, played well every game, and gone are the days of Gordon Hayward being somebody that you can count on. The surprising performances for me were Marcus Smart and Kemba Walker, but for opposite reasons. Marcus Smart was was awesome. He has always been a defensive specialist and somebody that you take last pick in your draft when you realize you've missed out on all the players that you want and you've got nobody who's going to get you any steals and then drop to the waivers at the first opportunity. But if this production continues, he'll absolutely be a hot commodity next year. 17 points, five boards, five assists with 2.5 triples and 1.2 steals is fantastic value. I don't think he'll continue that, but it's certainly worth a shout out and I'll absolutely be adding him to my watch list. So on to Kemba. Looking at the stats, 20 points, three triples, four boards, and 4.7 assists. It is hard to say that he was disappointing. He got his numbers, but in the big moments when Boston needed a cool veteran to control the game, he just wasn't there. He was averaging just over 4.5 points in the fourth quarter, and that's not going to cut it whenever you're trying to get your way into the NBA Finals. Yes, Tatum and Brown are the future, but the difference was clear between the mindsets. With the game on the line, regardless of how he's been playing, Jimmy Butler demands the ball and he'll go to work. Kemba Walker is not that sort of a player. I thought he was whenever he was in Charlotte. I don't know if it was maybe a health thing or if there was, you know, give it to Jason Tatum, but I would have been expecting Kemba to to just take control, just to just to call Alpha and to to put the team on his shoulders. Moving forward to next year. I honestly, I'm I'm not going to be taking any Kemba Walker. I'm going to be steering him, steering clear of him as much as I can. I don't trust his knees for one, and the team is becoming Jason Tatum's with every game that passes. So, for those two reasons, I'll be passing on him. 
Again, I'll delve into Denver and Boston a little bit more once we hit the offseason. But for now, let's deep dive into another team I think will remain pretty stable. Hence, the deep dive should remain relevant going into next year. So let's talk the Minnesota Timberwolves. So first and foremost, for Minnesota, moving into next season, they've got the first overall pick. And I think they'll do one of two things with it. I think they'll either trade it away for either another star or some some role players, or they'll draft Lamelo Ball. In either situation, I don't think it will impact the two main players in this side. So the fantasy value for them and the other players should remain untouched. If they don't trade away the pick, I think they start game one with the lineup of D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, Josh Okogi, Juancho Hernan Gomez, and Carl Anthony Towns. I'm going to start with Malik Beasley because I want to end with D'Lo and Cat. So I'll start with the other guys first. Malik Beasley, he was surprising. He shot straight into everyone's lineup about midway through the season when he straight up just caught fire. He shot 17.7 points at 45% with three triples and 4.5 boards across the last 25 games of the season, which worked out to be just over halfway. I certainly don't think that those numbers are going to be sustainable next year. He's not an 18-point-a-game sort of player right now. But Minnesota have shown that they need a third scoring option behind the main two. And I think Beasley can be that person. The the one key area to his value, I think, is the minutes per game. He only played 22 minutes per this year, and I think if you can get up around the 30 mark, then I think we'll be looking at 15 and a half, 16 points per game, two and a half triples. And at that point, I think it's well and truly worthy of a last round pick. The one caveat that I would say with that is, and we'll get into sleepers and kind of late round picks in the months to come. Obviously, we haven't even got a start date for the next season, but I would be mindful of getting players with much bigger upside next year. I think Beasley, there'll be a few of his type of players that go undrafted depending on the depth of your league. So just keep that in mind. Wancho and Josh Okogi, I would love to talk more about these guys, but I think they are pure role players. Wancho, he'll be good for threes and boards and Okogi will more than likely just sit on the waivers. I actually really like Josh Okogi in real life. I think he's a fantastic defender. He has got some crazy highlights to his name and he can really lock down a player. But unfortunately, that doesn't always translate to the fantasy realm. In his case, it certainly doesn't. But he's still somebody that I like to watch. Now, before I go into the dynamic duo, I will speak about the first player of the bench being Jarrett Culver. He was the player that Minnesota traded up to last year. They had the 11th pick, I'm fairly sure, and they traded up to get Jared Culver. And he was a little bit disappointing. I I still really like him. I, I think they'll keep running with him at the point guard in the second unit. And at that stage, you get all the opportunity in the world. He is someone, if there is some sort of a summer league, he is somebody that I would watch really closely because he'll get a really good run at that. And he has shown glimpses of being a 14 points, five boards, five assists type player with a couple of good defensive stats, but he's yet to put it together in the NBA. 
So D'Angelo Russell, I'll be reaching for him all day and every single day. I think this year or next year, I think he's going to have a career year. I see this scenario as the perfect landing spot for him. He's playing with his buddy. He's running the offense and has a fantastic big man that he consists to all day long. Between Russell and Cat, I think they'll combine for a usage rate of about 62, 63. So everything's going to run through these guys. Russell, he plays his best basketball running out of the pick and roll. So who better to do that with than the best shooting big man in in the NBA? I think they'll have a lot of fun with it. I think they'll do a lot of, you know, cat popping back for a triple or Russell blowing by his defender or pulling up or lobbing to cat. Like the the options are endless. And I think that they will explore every single option they get with that. And I think it's going to be really good. Each year in the league, Russell's scoring has gone up and up and up. And I think that trend will continue. The argument has always been when he was at Brooklyn, he was the only guy at Brooklyn. When he was at Golden State this year, he was the only guy at Golden State this year. So I think that players will sleep on that a little bit, but his usage rate hasn't affected. This year, he had 23 points, 3.5 triples, four boards, six assists, and a steal on 43% shooting from the field and 81% from the charity stripe. That was in a year where he got injured, he got traded, and it was actually the lowest usage rate he's had since his sophomore year. Those numbers were still good enough for a fourth round value. I think that he will surpass that. I honestly, I see him having a, I could see him having a 27 and 8 year and everything else would remain pretty similar to that. I, I think he's going to be absolutely elite next year. He I cannot stress this enough. Do not let him slide. He is going to be awesome. To I suppose if, if we were to compare him to, say, Kemba Walker, every year somebody will take Kemba Walker first. They probably will again next year. Don't be that person. Kemba, towards the end of his career, getting up there in age, injured, on a team with other stars, hasn't really – he's happy for the ball not to be in his hands and he's purely a scorer. Russell does a bit of everything, proving himself this year. Minnesota are going to have a good year in general. Two-ball game, playing with his mates. I think they're going to be really, really... I think they're, I was going to say really, really good. That's probably not going to be the case. I think they're going to be good. I think they're going to be better, but I think those two guys are going to be really good. Finally, the main man for the Timberwolves, Carl Anthony Towns. Cat is a weapon. I cannot stress how good he is. He should be taken early and he should be taken often in every single league, regardless of your format. In an injury-interrupted year, Cap put up career-high stats of 26.5 points per game, 3.3 triples per game, 4.5 assists, and 1 steal per game. Those are all career highs. That's to go with non-career high stats of 11 boards, 1.2 blocks, 51% from the line, Sorry, 51% from the field and 80% from the line. I've spoken probably in every single podcast that I've done about if you're in a category league, you need to draft players that are going to win those categories, not just good players. You also want to be mindful of players who punt certain categories. Cat is not one of those guys. Cat is, in my opinion, Cat is the close to the perfect starting block if you're not sure which way your strategy is going to go because he doesn't hurt you anywhere. He is a solid anchor in both percentages, solid points, 
obviously amazing rebounds, decent defensive stats for a big man, shoots the ball really well from deep for a big man, and four and a half assists. I mean, looking at it, I can't see – I can't really see any weaknesses. Maybe the 3.1 turnovers, but again, it if that's – that's obviously if you're playing nine categories. If you're playing eight, there is none. But yeah, he's awesome. The one frustration I had last year and a lot of other owners had last year about Cap was his injury. It, it felt as though it was only a minor injury, but every every single day he was day-to-day and he was day-to-day for what felt like a month and a half. So I completely understand if people feel burnt or jaded about taking Cap next year, but I think looking back on his career in you know 10 years from now, I think the 35 games will be an outlier. The guy's super durable. Before this year, he's played his first three years, didn't miss a game. Year after that, played 77, and then 35 games this year. Like it's already an outlier. I just I think if people are going to sleep on him, make sure you take him. Based on his stats from this year, he was absolutely top five player. I think he finished the year fifth. Durant coming back, Curry coming back into the league players that would be taken top five, I suppose the the question that most owners are going to have is where do you take Cat next year and can he get any better? If his stats remain the same this year, I think he'll still finish comfortably inside the top five, but where do I see him taking the next step forward? I think it'll be his assists. As I mentioned, there's going to be a lot of pick and roll basketball with him and D'Angelo. Cat will get his fair share of assists out of that. He's one of the most talented bigs in the league as a just purely as a basketballer and with the league moving to more of a positionless basketball and big men being able to pass I see that ticking up this year he had the most assists per game of his career while also playing the second lowest minutes of his career if Cat gets up to about the 35 36 37 minutes per game then I think we could be looking at about five, five and a half assists and obviously everything else that goes with that. All right, guys, that's all I've got for you. Next week, I'll be going into another deep dive, so stay tuned for that. As always, if you have any questions or comments, hit us up at Mark Fantasyland on Twitter. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. <laughs>